This is episode 342, dated Friday, January the 12th, 2024. You are listening to the In Perspective weekly podcast with Bob Branco and Peter O'Toole. Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco, and this is episode 342, dated Friday, January the 12th, 2024. I believe Peter Alchel has arrived, if I'm not mistaken. Peter, are you there? He has arrived from the, from the sodden mist of, of Coos Bay, Oregon, sodden and soaking wet from a Lions Club meeting. That's why I'm late. Glad to be here. And we're supposed to get rain much of tomorrow. And all I can say is I'm glad we're not going to be in Kansas City uh, tomorrow night for the Chiefs football game where it's going to be like minus four degrees of kickoff time with the minus 20 wind chill factor. So I guess I'm grateful to be in Coos Bay. With snow, Peter, it's going to snow, snow like crazy too. That's true. Yeah, that's in right. Kansas City, and, <laughs> and in fact, most of the country's got wacky weather and well, cold it, it, weather. It, it, so, cold weather in Texas? Can you say yeah. global warming? <laughs> well, that's another conversation. But 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 I will say it's interesting about Oregon. Oregon is is getting mostly mostly snow in all of Oregon, except where I am, because we're by the coast, and so we're just going to get a whole bunch of rain. It's going to be a nasty, cold, wind-driven rain, but you 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 know what that's like, Bob. You you I do. I certainly do. We've had our share of rainstorms recently. That's yeah, for sure. So, yeah. anyway, what I thought anyway. I would what I thought I would do is we don't do this very often, but I'm going to give everybody a list of sources that air in perspective and to help spread the word about in perspective. I've got a running list of sources here that I would like to read very quickly just to give everybody the credit that they deserve. We'll probably do this once a year. We start out with the ACB Community List of Participants, ACB Media 5. We have Audible Local Ledger. We have Audio Journal, Gatewave Radio, iTunes, JS Web Solutions, the Massachusetts Radio Reading Service, Rosie's Place, TuneIn, Your Own Pay Podcast Network. Then I have some Facebook groups. Bob Branco's Facebook Friends, Blind Pen Pals 18 and Above, Opportunities for the Blind and the Outreach Radio Network. And we have a new one to add to the list now, a new media outlet, Blue Streak Radio. Welcome aboard. So, just to update our listeners, we were scheduled to have Will Flanagan on our show today to talk about marijuana. Unfortunately, Will was in a car accident and cannot make it. But, we got lucky. We found somebody to take his place, and it's somebody that's pretty well known to the In Perspective family. Peter, I'm sure you know her. Donna Halper is here with us. Oh, yeah. That's she true. came forward and offered to talk with us about the media. So what I'm going to do, first of all, is welcome Donna to our show again. Donna, it's always a pleasure having you. Well, it's great to be back. Thank you for having me. I hope I will be a suitable replacement, even if I can't talk about marijuana. That's quite all right. You offered to talk about the media, Donna. So what I'm going to do is take a seat back, and I'm going to let you direct us for a moment or two, because I'm sure that when you came up with the idea, you had something specific in mind. So I'm going to let you start. Absolutely did. All right. So I was talking to some friends of mine. First of all, for those that don't know me, 
I'm a media historian. I'm the author of six books, many, many, many articles on a wide range of subjects, from baseball history to women's history to broadcasting history. If it has to do with the media, the chances are real good that I've written and researched about it. My experience is firsthand. I was on the radio for many years. I had a four-decade-long career in broadcasting and in print journalism, and the media fascinate me. And I was talking to a friend of mine about me three or four days ago, and we were just having a conversation about, you know, the usual, what's wrong with the media, you know? And when I say media, I mean radio, television, newspaper, internet, however you get your entertainment, okay? There's no one particular thing I was thinking of. But he was just giving me this conversation about it was much better when I was growing up. And I was thinking about that. And I wondered how many people share that viewpoint. Were the media better when you were growing up? And I understand that better is a subjective judgment. Okay, fine. We all have certain programs that we enjoyed watching or listening to. And thinking in an overall sense, okay? So, Bob and Peter, let me ask you, first of all, when I say to you, were the media better when you were growing up, how do you respond to that? I'll respond first. To me, it's a no-brainer. Back in the day, it didn't seem as though reporters were so anxious for drama. Today, they seem to be hungry for drama. And I'll give you an example. Yesterday, during Robert Kraft's press conference after he and Bill Belichick parted ways, I happened to watch the press conference on television. And most of the reporters did their job well. They asked the right questions. But then you had this one reporter who obviously was looking for drama and the question was, did Bill Belichick put up a fight? I mean, I mean, what did this reporter expect Robert Kraft to say? That, that he kicked and screamed and threw things across the room? I mean, what is it, what does it matter whether or not Bill Belichick put up a fight? You know, well, what was, what just, was he really like? Did he get along with people? What's Kraft going to say? I, I, I mean, no, he didn't. But, but like I say, Donna, in the old days, it was straightforward reporting that all that you heard, you could count on it. You never heard this search for drama, this search for sensationalism through the reporting and through the questions that they ask like you do now. And Peter, where were you at about that? Well, you know, I, 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 as usual, you know, we don't well to know that I, I can, you know, on many issues go both ways at the same time. So here, here, here's what I'm thinking. Uh, Bob is right in, you know, in, in the, you know, when we were growing up, you, you got sort of the same news feed from all three, whatever radio station you listened to was pretty, pretty much the same stories, the same thing. You, you know, people shared the same sort of cultural norms. I'm not saying that very well. They shared sort of the same information sources. You could talk about stories and know that everybody was sort of listening to the same basic things. And it wasn't just stories. I don't mean to interrupt. It you. Was, I just right. want to expand out on one thing you just said. It wasn't just stories. For mm -hmm. example, who shot JR? Right. I mean, 
thousands and thousands of people are watching the same programs. That's right. They're watching the same news sources. They're watching the same entertainment sources. And however you received it, the same cultural touchstones were so important, such that if something happened one night on any medium, radio, television, movies, didn't matter, pretty soon everyone was talking about it. It wasn't so balkanized or like you were in your own little silo. And, and I think that's where we find ourselves. And now the, the, the interesting part for me in, in this new age of media is it's using finding the internet and so on and so forth. You can find uh, different stories from different angles Fairly easily, much easier than you could back when I was growing up, you know, back in the, in the sixties and seventies and eighties. You know, I mean, the way I sort of ingest news now is I have three or four different websites with different political perspectives and, 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 and listen or read stories from, from a variety of perspectives or different stories that aren't being covered elsewhere. And I find that really interesting. The, the downside is. You always have to remember that the people who are writing those stories have, have a built-in bias and they don't hide the bias. So you just have to remember that as you're, as you're, as you're consuming the news. So, okay, this is, this is this person's take on the news. The, the facts are probably correct, but he's, but the, but the, the columnist or the writer or the audio person or whatever it is, is sort of leaving some parts out that might make the story more complete. And it makes it more challenging to, to get the complete story. The problem with the old system is a lot of the information was just left out of the story altogether. You just didn't get the whole story unless you read, you know, you know, uh, uh, alternative journalism sometimes. And there wasn't a lot as much out there, especially if you lived in, if you didn't live in New York City or, you know, in, in, in New York or, or around big cities. So I, I mean, the main problem with, with the media as I see it is when we grew up, we all shared the same sort of myth about this country. What made us great? You know, we, we certainly weren't perfect, but we, we did certain things. But some of those myths that we shared were, were, I think, wildly destructive. So, you know, it, it's, it's a wash for me. I, I, it's easier in the old days. I think the fairness doctrine is an issue that, I, that often comes up when I have these conversations, you know, where news were required to report stories from all angles. And we're supposed to have guests from different perspectives. That was a requirement. And I go back and forth, but whether that was a, when President Reagan abolished it, whether that was a good thing. But what it did do is bring, bring in the, the money angle. Because right now, I think money, it, it drives the whole media thing. So just to give one quick example, Fox News last year got fined a whole bunch of money because a uh, voting election company fined them a lot of money for, for, essentially deliberately fabricating falsehoods about them and they settled out of court because they thought they're, you know, they, anyway, they settled out of court and most of the media at Fox knew this was nonsense. They, all the emails, you know, talked about, you know, this is nonsense, but we're afraid of losing our, losing our audience, which, you know, and, and that's a perfect example, but here's the punchline. You have, you have article magazines like or newspapers like the New York times who around the same time, Refused to run a op-ed piece by a conservative senator from, I think it was Arkansas. I can't remember the guy's name now because the, the, the view was too controversial for the audience. And my sense is they're afraid of losing, losing audience members. 
So everything yeah. is now based on an audience. You know, NPR is based on an audience. New York Times is based on an audience. It's based on the listeners that they have. And that's a really unfortunate, you know. There's, I, I, there's I also, there's to, go ahead. What you're saying is a prime example of what I think most people don't realize that this happened, but they, they see the results of the fact that it happened. Okay. Yeah. In the early 1990s, under deregulation, it became more common for news to be taken over by the entertainment division. Up until the late 80s, early 90s, news, and it didn't matter, you know, if you were a righty, a lefty, a centrist, a libertarian, didn't matter. The news had to be presented a certain way. Because this was, as you mentioned, Peter, this was before deregulation. There was still the fairness doctrine. You still had to present both sides. And so everybody did. Whether that was good or bad is a conversation for another day. Whether everything got included is a conversation for another day. I can tell you that there were entire bunches of people that got written out of the story. However, there still was this belief that news was news. But in the 1990s, the entertainment division took over and suddenly news became entertainment. And when news is entertainment, you're not rewarded for telling the story accurately. You're rewarded for what Bob talked about, for coming up with those gotcha questions, for coming up with those things that'll get people aggravated. It it doesn't matter what it is. It can be sports. It can be, you know, gossip, movie reviews, doesn't matter. Giving it straight, nope. You gotta give it in a way that'll get people to go, I can't believe you said that, blah, blah, blah. I didn't grow up with that. I grew up with experts were experts. Commentators were separate from the news and the news people just gave it to you the way they understood it. They framed it a certain way. I agree. But there wasn't a tendency towards outrage because the news didn't have to get ratings. It just had to be there. In the 90s, it started having to get ratings. And I don't think that has been necessarily a good change. No, and you were talking about bias. You know, I'm not, no, I'm going to talk about bias because you mentioned that In the past, we used to hear both sides of the story on a news report. Now that you don't that often, media has the reputation for showing bias, whether they mean it or not. Because, you know, you have the Democratic spin, you have the Democratic Mm -hmm. talk radio, you've got the Republican talk radio. It's all split up. It's all divided. And I'm not sure that that's very healthy in the long run. And on talk radio, talk radio is 95% conservative. And by the way, I would be saying this if it were 95% liberal, okay? I don't think 95% of anything is a good thing. In certain cities, there is only one point of view that everybody gets. Whether it's liberal or conservative doesn't concern me. What does concern me is that it's a one-sided view and no alternative views are presented. 
I don't think it's useful. And I say this about sports reporting, too. When I hear a sports commentator who just said, oh, you know, the home team is always right and our players are great and there's never a problem. And I'm like, you're not being fair to your audience. Your audience deserves to know other ways of looking at the issue. And sadly, we are so balkanized now. We are so in our own little silos that you have to work really hard to find sources that give various perspectives. I think educated people deserve different perspectives. I'll be very upfront with you. I'm center left. Okay. But every day I read stuff that's center right. Why? Because I've got friends that are center-right. I want to know what they believe so that if I have a conversation with them, I'm not ignorant. I think a lot of media today encourages ignorance. It encourages people to just stay in their own little silo with something called confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. Confirmation bias is when you seek out sources that reinforce what you already believe. Peter, I noticed that you wanted to say something. I did. And I just wanted to so talk about what I thought talk radio was at its best in New York City in the early 90s, which is just at the cusp of what you're describing. So WABC radio, talk radio, when I was living in New York City, had during the morning a sort of liberal slash progressive bias. Now, there was a conservative there here and there, but it was primarily liberal. And then in the afternoon at noon, you, you had the more conservative bias. And what I loved about that is you, 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 you didn't have to change stations to get that. You, you got the perspectives of the same story in different ways. And by the way, from my perspective, the hosts primarily were, they may be a bit controversial and say obnoxious things, but they generally wanted to keep the audience that was already on that station. They didn't want them to go to other stations. And because there was a certain amount of liberal audience members, as I was, who wanted to hear the other side of the the, the issue. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and I must say that this applied to music as well, okay? Mm-hmm. I, I'm a former DJ, like I said. There were certain things we could not say. And I don't mean like political things. I'm talking about we wanted to have a show that anyone could listen to. We didn't want to be dirty. We didn't want to be vulgar. We didn't want to be so controversial that we left you with heartburn. We wanted to entertain you. We wanted to be your best friend. Okay. That's how I was trained. And that's something that, yes, I still sort of hear that, but there are some programs, particularly in the morning, the morning zoo kinds of shows mm-hmm. yeah. where I sit there and I go like, what is the benefit of doing your show this way? I understand being edgy, and I've been known to drop an F-bomb now and then myself. I admit it, but never on the air, okay? On the air, I want it to be everyone's best friend. And if I am only going for that moment where people go, oh, I can't believe you said this, I, am I their best friend? Or am I somebody that's just trying to be controversial to get ratings? In the end, I think you lose more people than you gain. Now, that's just my opinion, and I fully expect that the listeners may disagree with me, and I hope that they will let me know how they feel about this topic. I am not saying 
that radio was better in the good old days. Trust me, it was racist, it was sexist, it was a whole bunch of things. But at its best, it was entertaining and anyone could enjoy it because it didn't get its listeners by mocking or insulting or being rude to people. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it, you almost have to treat media as, you know, in this corner, this is this what they're saying, and then go to the other corner. You have to sort of, you know, literally walk across cyberspace, you know, to see what other people are saying. And most people don't have the time or the energy to do that. I do it because it's part of my job, but, but most people don't have time to do it. And and I'll tell you one thing that happens, you know, I I live in a place in in Oregon right now where people are largely tuned out, tuned out to the news. They, they raise their families, they work hard. They, you know, they're, they're concerned about local issues, how their kids are being raised and, and educated. And they, they all go to, most of them go to church or, you know, some kind of faith community. But, you know, talking about the news, we, it just doesn't happen around here very much. And I think more casual listeners. Yeah. They're they're casual listeners. The casual listeners. Right. The casual listeners are, are being, are being excluded. That why, why would they want to hear the kind of stuff that, that we're, that we're subjected to, right? Why would they want to do that? They weren't. I don't blame them. I don't don't blame them. I'm the same way. I, I listen to the news once in a while when I have nothing to do just to see what's going on. But I'm not an addict about it. I'm more into sports. I'm more into television. I'm more into other things, you know, in my hobbies. But I, I try to avoid the news as much as I possibly can. And how sad is that? Well, you know, the, the other, the other thing that really breaks my heart is the fact that when I was a DJ and I was one for a while, okay, I was a DJ in the sixties, the seventies, the eighties into the nineties when things started to change. And some change is good, okay? You are not going to hear me acting like a Luddite, where it's like, oh, God, all new technology is terrible. I am not saying that. I wouldn't be able to have this conversation with you wonderful folks if it weren't for things like Zoom, if it weren't for things like Skype, my smartphone, etc. But on the other hand... There's also a downside to some of this because, like I said, it turns everything, even casual conversation, into entertainment because people's attention spans are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. I notice this with my students. I'm a professor these days. And by the way, for those of you that are listening in, I went back to school when I was 55. I got my Ph.D. when I was 64. It is never too late to reinvent yourself, to go back to school. I'm always trying to learn new things. I'm delighted. But I've noticed something. I started teaching off and on in the 80s when I was still in radio full time. Fast forward to today. I notice that students will tune out and start checking their email after about like 15, 20 seconds. They are incapable, not because they're bad people, they're wonderful people, but they've grown up in a world where it's like, now this, now this, now this, now this, where it's constant stimuli coming at them all the time. And they're where checking they their, expect it, where they check, expect it. Am I making sense? You are. So they're checking their email during class? Yeah. Oh, I have oh, to yeah. tell them not to. But on the other hand, it's real life. And in real life, 
people are so addicted to media in some cases that it's like they're constantly checking to see if there's something they miss, that whole FOMO, fear of missing out. So they'll text constantly, or they'll check their mail constantly. I know people that are on YouTube constantly. I get it. Media can be addicted. But what I addictive, but I'm saying that there is a short attention span where the time to just appreciate. I notice if I assign an article, okay, if I assign it online, that article, as many of you know, is going to come with links. And what happens is the person starts reading. They read a few lines. They come upon a link. They click the link. They come upon another link. They click the, and instead of reading the individual article, they never get to the end of it. Yeah. yeah. There was a wonderful article. I noticed some hands are up. I'm delighted. I, there was an article way back in 2008. It could have been written yesterday called, is Google making us stupid? Okay. Is Google making us stupid? It was written by Nicholas Carr, C-A-R-R. He later turned it into a book. And he had started noticing this very thing, that people are like, they start reading something, and then they get distracted, and then something else distracts them, and then something else distracts them. There is research that shows that young people today, and even us older people, have shorter attention spans than we did 15, 20, 30 years ago. I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. There's more information, but people aren't taking the time to process it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the difference between wisdom and intelligence, right? Wisdom gives you the the perspective and the ability to to you know to make sense of the information you're 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 consuming and it 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 is and, and the other thing I was your comment reminded me of is there's also research as I understand it that talks about how outfits like Google have studied this stuff and know exactly how to to get that part of the brain engaged so that it becomes more addictive you there know it was just, an it, article in the Wall Street Journal I have it I'll send it to anybody that wants it because I I'll know take it's it. behind yep I know it's behind a paywall but they did an entire series about how Facebook and various other social media outlets intentionally changed around their algorithms because yeah. they knew that anger gets people more engaged. OK, if I were to get on the air and insult all of you nice folks, people would be screaming. They'd be in just they'd be furious. They'd be this. They'd be that. But. Sadly, that seems to work with people and social media have adapted to it by empowering the posts that make people angry and minimizing the posts that may be more accurate, maybe kinder and gentler. And yet the companies that are doing this are doing this to manipulate your emotions so that you will stay engaged longer. A sad commentary. And I would, I would also argue, and I'm not sure what the research shows on this, Donna, that there are people who engage in this and decide, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just going to, this happened to me actually with Twitter. I love Twitter. I love the engaging with Twitter. And then I had to go to the hospital back in 2021 and I was putting my life back together. One of the things that 
I, I chose not to do it was, it wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't just a conscious, it wasn't a conscious choice. It was a subconscious choice was never to go back on Twitter again. And I don't regret it at all. You know, yeah, I, I, um, it, I don't it was, mind being on Twitter. I don't like what Elon Musk has done to but, but, but you, you get the idea. No, I'm but I know exactly what you're saying. But I'm I, saying I just, that like coming yeah. as I do from an older generation, I mean, yeah, I'm still young and cute, but I still am able to manage how long I'm on social media. I ignore certain kinds of posts because they're just like not worth my time and energy. But I see so many other people that just end up down that rabbit hole. And I'm not just talking politics. I'm talking about anything. Okay. I was asking the friend that got me started on this conversation what 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 started this all together was an episode of Fargo now i don't know if any of you watch or listen to Fargo it's a series on fx comes up every couple of years the uh producer director a guy named Noah Hawley he comes out with a new series every few years it's always Really good television. It's very thought-provoking. Very dark sometimes. But long story short, he has a wonderful soundtrack. And he always picks really interesting songs to go with each episode. And the other night's episode, he had Whipping Post by the Mm -hmm. Allman Brothers Band. Now, I was in album rock radio when that song came out. I hadn't thought about that song in years And when I started listening to it, I was like, oh, my God, I remember where I was, when I was, who I was with. I mean, there are certain songs from back then that just take you back. And that's the other thing I was going to ask about. Are there people today who have songs like that that just take them back or are we so focused and so driven and so dominated by this polarization that we don't have time to even appreciate a great song? So I, I will give you my take based on my interaction with two 11-year-old, my step-grand twins, who are wonderful, terrific people. And they are absolutely hooked on Taylor Swift. They As love billions Taylor of other Swift. people. And, but what's interesting to me is, I, your, 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 Donna, your question, these folks will, will, will uh, you know, they, I'm sure their tastes will change over time. And I've told them this and they laugh at me, but you know, their tastes will change over the next few years, but they're always going to come back to Taylor Swift songs. Absolutely. You know, they're always, so it, it, it still, it still happens. You know, I, there, you know, there are certain, you know, certain, there are certain musical groups or music, uh, that, that will always, the difference is I see it. Is that we're uh, we're we're not listening to the same music, right? Boom. So, Boom. so there's the, was, yeah, you, you, yeah. So you're making my point. Yeah, we're circling exactly. around to yeah. what we started talking about because of the fact that radio is no longer as dominant, and that's fine. Media come, media go. Radio isn't going anywhere. Millions of people listen to it every week, but because a lot of young people get their music from YouTube, from Spotify, from Pandora. Like every semester, I ask my students if they have a favorite radio station and a favorite DJ. Now, that you want to talk about no-brainers. When I was growing up, that was a no-brainer. Everybody had a favorite station. Everybody had a favorite DJ. Terrestrial radio. 
Yeah, everybody has favorite groups, this and that. Today, I ask that question, my students just look at me. Mm -hmm. Like the only time they listen to radio is if they're in their car with their parents. The rest of the time, they get their music individually. There's no shared national experience like there used to be. But see, I'm not sure that's true, Donna, because I'm going back to twins. You know, there, there, there is the unusual person like Taylor who has caught fire. I mean, she, she was the time person of the year last year because she, of, of the impact she had in this country. It was, it was mammoth. It wasn't just among kids. You know this as well as I do. It was, it was among adults. It was funny. I'd forgotten about this, but I, I texted my pastor, my, my old pastor in Missouri and told her about the, the wedding that I was about to have. And I said, we're doing a Taylor Swift song, totally forgetting that she had just gone to a Taylor Swift concert. And her question was, well, what song? And I told her, and she, she said, perfect. And that was sort of the end of the conversation. But there are people who sort of transcend, there's still people who transcend, transcend this stuff and, and make it work. You know, I'm sure there are other, but Taylor Swift is the obvious one, but there are others hey, too. I had a Beatles song at my wedding. I mean, you know. Well, yeah, but, but that's the point. You know, there are, there are, there are, there are groups and people who transcend what were the, the balkanization of stuff because they, they do, uh, but it may be harder to do. And then, you know, the same thing applies to, and the other thing that's going on, which is sort of annoying is, you know, I'm not much of a country, a country music person, but you'll hear, you'll, you'll hear, the same song with two different arrangements and the one that, that, that crosses over, it has this arrangement that's sounds like every other arrangement that doesn't, that loses the country sound, if that makes any sense or, or hides it. And it's too bad because the country sound is terrific. There's so well, much. Great in stuff in fairness there. though, the idea of having crossover hits, you know, they were <laughs> stars were trying to do that back in the sixties. I know, 70s, but, 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 but was less of an effort oh, to sort of homogenize style. You know, I mean, yes, I know what you're saying. You're right. But we do have at least one hand raised if you'd like to. Sure. Why why don't we uh, invite the participants? That was going to be my next question because I understand that I'm substituting, but I hope I'm at least creating a good conversation for people. But before we do that, uh, this is In Perspective, Bob Branco, and I'm Peter Altschul, and let's see what the audience has to say. Who's first? Oh, by the way, let me thank Greg for being our co-host for today. I mean, our host hey, for today's uh, program, taking the time to be with us. Thank you very much, Craig, for helping us out. So who do we have? We have a 281 uh, phone number ending in 665-281. You can unmute and talk to us. I think that's Michael. I think it is, too. It is. It is. Hey, hello, Michael. Everybody. Say hello to Donna Helper. Hi, Donna. Hey, Mr. Mike, I hope you're enjoying the conversation. I am. I am. This is, is very interesting. It's a very interesting conversation because I had a, had a similar conversation with somebody not too long ago, but and, and you guys have brought up some really good points. But, but the thing I want to throw in is, and, and this happened in the last conversation we had about, about journalism. I guess it was somebody on our, on our, on sports roundtable. The, 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 the aspect of journalist journal journalistic integrity you know when you talk about the 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 way they taught and i don't know what they how they teach now taught journalism in the old days was report the facts report the story search for the truth 
And nowadays, and, and, and Peter gave a, a, a great example of, of, of the Fox fiasco last year, the, the interest is now on the money and the audience, like you said, Donna, the audience, and not totally leaning toward the truth. And, and, and that confuses people because we can throw in education here is, is because we're not teaching our students to think critically, to synthesize the, 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 and evaluate all of the, the, the sides of a story. Well, this is what really bothers me because, first of all, I am a professor of journalism, and I can assure you that we do still teach to be fair to the facts, to not get out in front of the facts. What I think is the most confusing for the average person is when we were growing up, and again, I don't want to turn this into, oh, the good old days were, but nah, not what I'm saying. (laughs) But when we were growing up, commentary was totally separate from news, okay? Today, on many, particularly of the cable channels, but not just the cable channels, you might have commentators right on the same program with the news people. And for many listeners, particularly casual listeners, they may not be able to tell the difference between commentary and news. News is going out and gathering it and seeing the facts for yourself. Commentary is just giving your opinion about it. And a lot of those opinions are just totally biased and free of fact. They're trying to make political points or they're trying to score points for the home team or whatever. But the idea of accuracy and fairness, it's still there but it's in competition with outrage and controversy. My point exactly. Okay, so so Donna, before Michael, you go, your comment reminded me of something that happened to me that was very jarring. I was interviewing for a job at the University of Missouri's Journalism School, which is one of the best schools in the country. And I was interviewing with, I can't remember, the Assistant Dean of Graduate Student Studies. And I can't remember how this conversation got started, but I asked him sort of, so what's the, you know, what are the key skills that you teach your students on the graduate level? And he said something along the lines of our job is to tell a good story, you know, with, you know, with the facts being, you know, uh, researched and so on and so forth. But it wasn't, it felt that, that the roles are reversed. It wasn't, Starting with the facts and, and molding them to a story. It was starting with a story that the person wanted to tell and then getting the facts to fit the story. That was sort of the impression I got from the guy's answer. And I was really startled by that answer because if that's what some journalists are, are teaching, that's sort of more public relations than journalism. Well, we're, but we're back, Peter, we're back to the same problem. And, and by the way, I'm going to like, pause for a second and do something thoroughly unprofessional. I noticed that Anne is on this and Anne was in the article that I very kindly asked her to, you know, she was very kind to uh, participate in the article I wrote for Radio World. Peter, you were in it, several other people. I couldn't get to all the people I wanted to have in it, but I just noticed that Anne was there. Hi, Anne. Hello. So (laughs) back to the Point though, and then we'll get to some other hands. Unfortunately, now that 
the radio and television news divisions are being supervised by the entertainment division, it's going to be entertaining. Yeah. I never thought about whether Walter Cronkite was entertaining. I never thought about whether Dan Rather or anybody else writing I had didn't even know. Johnny Most. I knew that Johnny Most was like, oh, my God, anything the Boston Celtics did, it was perfect. But I never thought about, is he a Democrat? Is he a Republican? You know, who does he vote for in the last election? I couldn't have cared less, okay? It just wasn't front and center, if I'm making sense, okay? I couldn't have told you what Walter Cronkite's politics were, and I listened to him and watched him for, like, Three decades. Still didn't know what his politics were. So the fact is that it was not something you talked about. You didn't talk about your religion. You didn't, not because you didn't have one. It was just your job was to reach as many people as possible. So I think that the journalists today are stuck in that little conundrum of we've got to be factual, but we've also got to create conversation. And it's very hard to do both sometimes. What do you it, think possessed? It's the greatest story that, that creates conversation. You know, the, the, the whole, the whole thing about storytelling for me as a guy who worked for Reuters for quite a while in the early 2000s, that was not what Reuters was about. Reuters was about, you know, doing research and, and getting a, a news thing out. It wasn't telling a story. The two are different. No, I know what you're saying. Bob, you started to say something. Uh, Donna, how do you think this evolved? What do you think possessed today's journalists to do what they do? What started this whole trend, do you think? Well, as I said, I think that what started happening was a couple of things. People's attention span got shorter. And with each new mass medium, that does happen. Okay? With radio, you had to listen longer. You had to pay attention. You're not being distracted if you're a sighted person. You're not being distracted by how the person looks or anything. What are they wearing? You're just listening to the story or listening to the music. It's an experience. When television came along, the stories were shorter. They were more punchy. They were more, you know, focused on getting your attention and keeping your attention. Then the Internet came along. People's attention span got even shorter than that. So that normal evolution of each new mass medium causing people to be less and less and less focused and more and more and more distracted And then with the end of the fairness doctrine, like it or hate it, it forced people to give both sides. When you no longer had to give both sides, that opened the floodgates to one-sided programming from all different kinds of, you know, whether sports, whether music, whether politics. Suddenly it was all like, oh, good, I can just be for the home team. I can mock everybody else. And that's what there's a whole bunch of people that have grown up with, and they think that's the norm. And I don't think Greg, we're necessarily do, any better off for it. Greg, do we have any other hands raised? We have someone in Clubhouse, Greg. My hand. I see several people with hands raised. I see Alice and I see Brad. Hold the audio now unmuted. Hello? Yeah. We've, Hi. This is Alice. I just unmuted. We've, we've had someone here in, in Clubhouse and... Hello? Can you hear me? Hang on. Yes, you have to mute your jaws, though. Try hitting the, uh, the keys to shut the jaws down. But 
Whoever have, was uh, first, Brad, will take. Yeah, we have Mr. Chef there in Clubhouse. Yeah. That's what he shows up on Clubhouse. Go oh, ahead. Yes. Uh, hi. Yeah. So the thing is, I feel that a lot of the people want – if you want straight news, I would say listen to NPR. NPR today would be probably the most uh, straight news if you can think of. You know, a lot of times if you want to have a straight news, you know, a lot of times I just go to NPR or, or, or listen to NPR, you know? That is absolutely documented by facts, okay? I understand that there are people who think that NPR is liberal, and they may very well be in some of their features, but their news, right. like Morning Edition and All Things Considered, I do research for a living, and I can tell you, that 45% of the people that listen to NPR news are registered Republicans. I've seen the research, okay? The 55% are Democrats or independents. My point is, it's a very balanced audience. 45 or 50% Republican, 45 or 50% Democrats, and they listen to NPR news because they're getting news in depth. They're getting more than just like a 10-second discussion. They're getting more information in a way that's easy to understand and easy to follow that is fact-based. And I think that that's a very important thing in our culture. Donna, I'm curious because what it means to be a Republican and a Democrat is changed over the years. And I'm wondering how what percentage of those Republicans, the the 45% that you cite, are, are, are hardcore President Trump supporters? Well, because, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, that's a, that's a great question. The vast majority of the people that I've seen in PBS research, and where did I see PBS research? Well, I write for Radio World, and as Ann knows, and as some of the others of you know, I will get you sooner or later. I will interview you, I promise. But I've been writing for Radio World off and on for, oh my God, 15 years. And I did a piece on NPR. And they showed me some of their research so that I could write my article. And the research, this was back in, must be 2015 or so. The research, so that was before Trump. But these were moderates. Okay, these were self-identified moderate Republicans and moderate Democrats, for that matter. People who cared very much about getting the fuller picture, if I'm making any sense. Because I think the extremes on both sides, they've already tuned out and they've gone into their little silos to find the stuff that makes them feel like they're right. So I don't think that the pro-Trump supporters or for that matter, maybe some of the Bernie Sanders supporters on right. the left would probably ever have listened to NPR. They might have. But in general, I think NPR tries to reach a moderate audience. And that's the research that I saw. And we have one more hand in here. I'm sorry. I got kicked out of the meeting. But um, we have Alice okay. uh, up next. So, Alice, go ahead, please. Thank you, Greg. I am so enjoying your conversation, and I would love to be in your journalism class. Back in 68 to 72, I was a journalism minor, and many people would ask me, 
when, you know, that question, oh, what's your major and minor? And I'd say journalism. And the people would say, what's that? And I was always so surprised. But like you, I grew up greatly admiring Walter Cronkite. And I am also and have been such an admirer of Milt Rosenberg of WGN, his 38-year career in Chicago. And I'm sure you know of him. And I'm always looking for another radio program that is in any way similar to the extremely marvelous work that Milt Rosenberg did. Do you have any recommendation of anyone? Now with the Echo Dot, I could pick up a radio station from anywhere. But is there well, anyone doing that work as Milt Rosenberg did, those interviews? I think there really are at the local level, okay? And I think if you just go, because of the fact that we have, you know, here again, good things about the Internet, because we have Internet radio stations from all over everywhere and various apps that let you get radio from all over everywhere, I think you will be able to find at some of the local stations that there are some wonderful personalities. I mean, I can think of some in my own town. I'm in Boston. But I would, rather than, you know, telling you my recommendations, I would just say just keep skimming the dial and see who you find that looks interesting. But it may not be national. It may be one of those smaller stations, and you're just going to go, wow. Like, I've got a friend, Bill Deal. Okay, and Bill has been the entertainment reporter for ABC for years. He's written two books. There is nobody that Bill Deal doesn't know or hasn't interviewed. The guy is just a legend in the industry. And I find his work fascinating. Okay, mostly he does obits, but the way he does them is just It's interesting. He tells a story about the interesting things the person did in their lives. See, I'm I'm a big fan of storytelling, and I really do believe there are some people out there doing it, and I'll be very happy to, like, give some serious thought to some folks I might recommend to you. I don't know if those folks are online, however, or doing Internet radio, but there's so much that's available out there today. I think we tend to focus on all the bad stuff, but we need to remember that there really is some good stuff, too. So, Alice, I, I'm going to give you by far my favorite talk show that I listen to, but not often enough is which is on satellite radio, the Michael Spurkana show, which is absolutely fabulous. He has, and his newsletter is also fabulous. He has people from all perspectives. His audience is amazing. You never get, I, 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 in all the years I've listened to him, you never get the angry tirades and you get the, the, the talk is fascinating. It's thoughtful. It's energetic. It's high energy. Now, what's interesting about Smirk, and I know Michael, we, you know, haven't seen each other in years, but we were at some of the same conferences and this and that. Michael is a Republican from the old school. Yes. He's very, very moderate. He loves hearing both sides. He has guests from both sides. I've never known him to be an ideologue, okay? And I think you might find his shows to be, he's... 
he's, I think, on CNN these days, but he's also on POTUS, which is Politics of the United States, Channel 124 on Sirius XM. But you're right, Peter, there are a number of talk show hosts like that. And we have one more hand. Uh, We have Anne. Yes, Anne, yes, go Anne. ahead. Hey, hi Donna, hi Peter. Oh, we hi, had such hey, wonderful Annie. conversations, <laughs> Anne. You and I had some we great did. recollections of FM radio. Oh my gosh, yes, and and the the article was wonderful. By the way, you okay? Did I do you right? Of course, yes, a hundred percent, a hundred and ten percent. And am I uh, doing okay as a substitute guest? <laughs> what I a well, plus. that's what got me to log on, Donna. A I heard plus. it was you. And I was like, oh, I got to come on. So but I, what I want to know is about female commentators and female journalists. I mean, I'm of the age where Joan London was a an image breaker for women in journalism, especially televised journalism. And I just want to know your thoughts on that and who you think are like front runners or steady people in terms of. Like you're talking about that, you know, being a moderate and being fair and, and, and still having some of that traditional journalistic point of view. I'd be interested well, in hearing your, your all, opinions on that. I wrote a book and I'm not going to shill for my book, but we have two I, minutes. Yeah. I wrote a book called Invisible Stars, a social history of women in American broadcasting. I wrote a 2001 edition, and then I updated it in 2014. I'm working on a third edition. I've lived to see so much change, okay? When I was first getting started, I was the first woman in the history of Northeastern University to ever be on the radio, and somehow the Republic did not fall. I was just inducted a few months ago into the Massachusetts Broadcasters Hall of Fame. Congratulations. Being, thank you wow. for being yeah. the first just about every place I went and also for doing groundbreaking research on pioneering women in broadcasting. I'm a fan of Rachel Maddow. Whether you agree with her politics or not, she is deeply sourced. She knows a lot about history and she tells a great story. Now, years ago, she wouldn't have gotten beyond first base. People would have said to her, nobody's ever going to listen to a woman who's a historian. How could you possibly get on the air? And yet she has one of the highest rated programs in cable news. She's on MSNBC. And there are other women on all sides of the political equation who are just good storytellers and also some good female announcers because you no longer have to sound sexy. You can just sound like yourself and be yourself and tell a good story. So again, yeah, I've lived to see this change. Is it perfect? No. But is it now no longer unusual for women to be announcers or to be commentators or to be people who discuss the issues intelligently and are just treated like, oh, that's a person who can discuss the issues rather than, oh, we've got a woman on the air. Right, right. You know, I'm I'm glad to see it. Yeah, and thank you very much for your contribution. Sure. I'm afraid we're going to have to wrap it up because uh, we have uh, there's another program coming on ACB Media very very shortly. So Donna, thank you for bailing us out today. 
Oh, my you pleasure. Are, I'm normally are, not here, but I was working on some research and I saw your email about your guest couldn't make it. And I said, gee, maybe I can step in. So I hope I did OK. No, you're you fine. For having me. Well, welcome Perfect back. Timing. We should we should get you back. Well, thank Absolutely, you for having Donna. me, folks. I love you to bits and pieces. And we and we love you, too, Donna. Thank you very much for your contribution. Okay. Next week, our guest is somebody that many of you are familiar with, Dan Spoon. I still think he's the interim executive director for ACB. If he's not, then correct me. Interim executive director of the American Council of the Blind, Dan Spoon, will be with us next week on In Perspective. Thank you very much, Peter, Donna, Greg, and our participants. Take care, everybody. Raymond Gay, thank you for what you do as well. I'm Bob Branco. Go safe with God's abundant blessings. Have a nice week, everybody. Yeah.